today, whether you're joining us indoors, outdoors, or watching later online. I'm really excited to get to look into God's Word with all of you today. So last week, John mentioned a show that he watched. The show I've been watching lately is SWAT, and I have no idea how accurate it is, but because the team has to breach enemy territory pretty much every episode, multiple times, I'm now very familiar with lingo like, right side clear, left side clear, or code four, suspect is in custody. If they have to go in secretly somewhere, they'll use hand gestures like. <laughs> but without, without the winking, I always feel like I have to wink. I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's no winking. Uh, sometimes they say, Oh, there we go. Yeah, here we go. We're back. Sometimes they stand for NV, they say NVGs down, which stands for night vision goggles, these special lenses that they flip down over their eyes so they can see in the dark. It's interesting, right, that they have these goggles with them wherever they go because they know that going into dark spaces can be part of the mission and that when they do, they're going to need special tools to help them maneuver in the darkness effectively. It's like that in the Christian life. Sometimes as individuals or as a church, we need to go through dark places, places filled with danger, struggle, or suffering, or periods of uncertainty where we can't see everything that's up ahead or know how long it'll be before we arrive somewhere. We need to know what we can rely on for guidance, for protection, for solace as we navigate those times in our lives. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're in a sermon series journeying through Psalm 23, verse by verse. Now, this idea of approaching Psalm 23 as a journey is particularly apt because, as we've discussed, Shepherding in the Middle East was a migratory profession. There was an annual circuit these shepherds would take, and Psalm 23 charts along with that circuit. It begins in the winter pastures of home, then tracks the long spring drive up into the mountains. It describes the alpine meadows of the summer up in the mountain plateaus before descending in the fall to return home again. Our text for today is verse 4. <clears throat> Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, verse 4 is when this journey really begins, when the sheep leave the homestead to begin the trek up into the mountains. The first thing they go through are dark valleys, and many commentators feel that this point marks the structural climax of the psalm. See, in modern language, when we want to emphasize something, we put it at the end, like the conclusion paragraph to our essay or the punchline to a joke. But in ancient literature, emphasis was put in the middle, and the text before and after it would parallel each other to highlight that middle. If we rearrange the verses a bit, you see something like that perhaps in this psalm. It begins and ends with the most intimate name for God that the Israelites had, 
Yahweh. Yahweh is my shepherd, and to Yahweh I will return. Then we see layering in, God provides. He provides food and drink. Next layer, he is my security because he guides and guards. And here in verse 4, in the place of greatest emphasis is this. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The place that is emphasized by the structure of the psalm and the point at which the journey really begins is in the dark valley. If we're going to journey well with Jesus, we have to understand how to handle times of darkness. And that's what David helps us do here in verse 4. And because Psalm 23 is a poem, it's not a historical account or a letter, because it's a poem, what David gives us is not so much a set of instructions or a bunch of advice. He gives us images, metaphors, Images that we can hold on to and that we can ponder for those times of darkness. So that's how we're going to look at it. First, we'll look at this image of the valley and what it shows us about the darkness we can expect. Secondly, we'll look at the image of the rod and the staff and what it shows us about the comfort we can have. The darkness we expect and the comfort that we have. First, let's look at the valley. <clears throat> now, in the place where David lived... There were these narrow ravines that ran through mountain ranges, so deep that they actually remained in perpetual darkness. There was one in particular that David probably had in mind pictured here. One shepherd describes it this way. There is an actual valley of the shadow of death in Palestine, and every shepherd knows of it. The path plunges downward into a deep and narrow gorge, overhung by rocks which almost touch overhead, the valley is about five miles long, yet not more than 12 feet at the widest section of the base. The path is so narrow that in places the sheep can hardly turn around. In other words, this is not some gently sloping, grassy, sunny valley we're talking about. This is walking through a wedge between high cliffs, down where the sun never reaches, where you can't see what's ahead or to either side, where you're exposed to all kinds of dangers. Quite often, bandits and predators would hide in the surrounding cliffs waiting to attack. Maybe even more dangerous were the flash floods that would sweep down from the mountains into these valleys. If the sheep weren't killed by the force of the water sweeping them off their feet, they could die of exposure after being soaked and chilled. The valley was a place full of death and full of darkness. That's why David doesn't just use the typical word for valley here. He adds this word that you get by putting together the word for shadow and the word for death. The valley of shadow death. Throughout the Old Testament, it refers to the terrors of darkness, the deepest dark of the night, or even to death itself. What is your valley? What is that place of darkness, of isolation, of terror, of suffering? What's that place of dread or uncertainty? This psalm tells us two things about our valleys. First, they are a normative part of the Christian journey. Periods of suffering, of uncertainty, of darkness are a normative part of our spiritual journey. You know, the world we live in tells us 
that things should go well for us in life. That's our unspoken definition of success, right? That we feel happy, that we're getting what we want, that our prospects look good. That cultural mindset can start to seep into our spiritual lives. We judge the success of our spirituality, we judge how God must be feeling about us by how well things are going. Kate Bowler is a professor at Duke Divinity School. She did her doctorate on the prosperity gospel, this belief that it's always God's will for us to have material health and wealth. She was diagnosed in her 30s with stage 4 cancer, and in her subsequent memoir, she writes this. I would love to report that what I found in the prosperity gospel was something so foreign and terrible to me that I was warned away. But what I discovered was both familiar and painfully sweet, the promise that I could curate my life, minimize my losses, stand on my successes. <clears throat> and no matter how many times I rolled my eyes at the creed's outrageous certainties, I craved them just the same. I had my own prosperity gospel, a flowering weed grown in with all the rest. Most of us would say in our heads that we don't think God exists to give us what we want, but somewhere in our hearts, we so easily cling to this belief that we can curate our lives, minimize our losses, stand on our successes. We come to crave prosperity as much as all the rest. We buy into the belief that success is feeling happy, that we deserve to have certain things, otherwise something must be wrong. But that's not what this psalm is telling us. The very first thing David has to say about leaving for this spiritual journey is that we go through dark valleys. It's not a sign of failure. It's not a sign that God doesn't know what he's doing. Just the opposite. The valley is part of the journey. It is part of God leading us somewhere. And it's a valley. It's not a pit or a dead end. The darkness is not forever, but it is a place we must walk through. The second thing this psalm tells us about the valleys is that we are not alone in them. We are not alone in the darkness. You know, dark places often feel incredibly lonely. It's hard to feel like anyone understands what it's like. But notice the psalm begins in the third person. David refers to God as he. Then here in verse 4, he shifts from the third person to the first person. David doesn't say, he is with me, which would be grammatically consistent with what's written so far. David says instead, you are with me. He addresses God directly for the first time. It's in the valley that David shifts from creed to prayer. He speaks personally and intimately to God. At the home ranch, the sheep would stay fenced in the pastures at night while the shepherds slept in the ranch house. But during these long spring drives, the shepherds stayed with the flock 24-7 day and night. He was beside them constantly. And that's the kind of presence David has in mind when he writes about the valleys. We are not alone. In the message, Eugene Peterson translates this verse, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. God's presence with us in the valleys changes everything. And if you're wondering, like, how is that? What difference does it make? 
Well, David gives us two metaphors to help us understand that, the rod and the staff. So secondly, what do the rod... Okay, I'm trying to move too much now. <laughs> what do the, secondly, what do the rod and the staff show us about how God is with us in the valley? One way you can tell how experienced a doctor is in the hospital is by how much stuff they carry in their white coat pockets. So the medical students usually have pockets bulging with supplies for every conceivable emergency, pocket manuals, granola bars. I fit a whole textbook in there once. I still remember it was surgical recall, and it came in handy more than once. But the more experienced doctors carry a lot less, maybe only a stethoscope, or not even that if you're an eye doctor. I suspect my kids don't think I'm a real doctor because I haven't touched a stethoscope in a while. <clears throat> but you can tell a lot about someone by what they carry. There were only two things that experienced shepherds in the Middle East carried with them at all times, the rod and the staff. So the rod was a shorter, thicker stick, and the staff was a longer, thinner stick, usually with a crook at one end, and they were used in different ways. So the rod was used to protect the sheep. It was an offensive weapon used like a club. One good blow with this thing was enough to stop an attacking coyote, wolf, cougar, or stray dog. The rod also protected the sheep from internal threats. It was used to push aside the sheep's thick wool so that its skin and structure could be examined for disease. At sheep shows, this was done so that no one could have the wool pulled over their eyes, so to speak. But the fact that a shepherd every shepherd carries a rod, tells us a few things. It tells us that evil is real and that sheep are defenseless. Think about it. Sheep don't have sharp teeth or claws. They don't have thick hides or spikes or scales. They can't release poisons or smelly fumes. They can't burrow underground. They're not fast enough to run away on land. And they can't camouflage themselves where they are. Like it's a wonder they even survive in the animal kingdom. In this rather unfortunate analogy, we are the sheep. The spiritual reality is that we are defenseless on our own. That's really counterintuitive for us because we live in a culture steeped in self-sufficiency. We assume we ought to be able to deal with threats ourselves. Our first instinct is not to ask for help, and we walk through life with our defenses up. Our first response to pain or uncertainty is to armor up, and we do that in all kinds of ways. We might rehearse disaster, living in anxiety and trying to control everything that could possibly go wrong. Or maybe we withdraw or escape through numbing behaviors or pretending everything is going fine when it's not. But David isn't pretending that evil isn't real. He's also not pretending he is able to control and deal with it all himself. He is saying that the key is to know where your help comes from. We are as defenseless as sheep, but we walk with a shepherd who carries a rod. And that is why we know we're okay. We have a God who is able to guard us against the threats, temptations, and attacks of Satan, of the very real evil in this world and the forces of darkness working around us. 
We have a God who is able to search us within, to bring into view the things about ourselves we need to see and face. Do you believe in that God? Do you believe, like David, that it is possible to walk through evil without fear because he is able to protect you? Back home, the rod was often the last thing the sheep would see at the end of the day as they were going into the fenced area for the night. The shepherd would put their rod over the fence gate and count each sheep as they passed under it, making sure not one was missing, that each of them were safe. That's why the Bible speaks of passing under the rod as coming under God's protection. Out on the trail, down in the valleys, the sheep were in a new and scary place. But they knew the shepherd's rod from back home. They saw him carrying that same rod, and so they knew they were safe. The second thing a shepherd always carried was a staff. The staff was used to guide the sheep. It was a lighter, longer stick, long enough to lean on, and it was used to gently direct and rescue. And sheep needed that because they were always getting lost. Did you know that sheep literally cannot walk straight? Like, they can't walk in a straight line. I think it has something probably to do with how their eyes are located on opposite sides of their head. So they actually can't see straight ahead. Instead, they're constantly getting distracted, and they're also, by nature, both stubborn and skittish, which doesn't help. So they'll follow each other without realizing where they're all going. And so the sheep depend on the shepherd to guide them in the right direction and to rescue them when they got off the path, and that's what the staff was for. The straight end of the staff guided the sheep in the right direction. The shepherd would reach out with that end to direct the edges of the flock as they walked along. And sometimes they would actually hold the straight end against the side of a sheep and walk along that way, staying in touch as they went. The crooked end was used to rescue sheep when they got off the path. It was used to catch lambs or smaller sheep that got lost or stuck. It was also used to bring shyer sheep into the flock or to place a newborn lamb at its mother's side after being born because the mother sheep would reject the lamb if it had the odor of the shepherd's hands on it. The staff guided the sheep not only along the right physical path but into the right relationships. Now, part of being self-sufficient Part of this desire to curate our lives is feeling like we ought to be able to figure out where we're going. But by definition, being in a dark, narrow valley means there's no view up ahead or to either side. Valleys are when we're acutely aware of our dependence on God to guide us. And think about what kind of guidance the staff provides. So it's not a GPS system where you can like, swipe ahead five times to know which lane you should be in three turns from now. <laughs> it's not some eyes in the sky view. That's another team, the, another thing the SWAT team says. When they're stuck somewhere and they don't know what's going on, they'll be like, give me eyes in the sky. And of course, some helicopter or drone on standby swoops in to tell them how to cut off the bad guys. The spiritual journey doesn't work like that. We can't see it all at once. It's just a step-by-step -step connection with the shepherd. That's it. You know, all we know is one or two steps forward at a time. 
All you know is that when you get lost, the staff will surely find you and lift you back on your feet. Your assurance comes not from what you yourself can see or know, but from your relationship, from your connection with this shepherd that you know and trust. That's where your comfort comes from. The rod guards, the staff guides. The rod was used with authority to protect and examine. The staff was used with kindness to steer and to rescue. These were the images that came to David's mind in the darkest, most dangerous, most uncertain part of his journey. These symbols of protection and guidance that he held in his own hands every day when he was with his sheep. When we moved here about six years ago, I left behind a pretty established life on the East Coast. One of the places we lived was in Boston. And even though we had carefully planned the journey, and even though I was really sure that God was guiding our family to move here, I struggled to adjust after we arrived. Like, I knew in my head I just needed to get over it. And with young kids and new jobs, I had to stay pretty functional. But I couldn't shake this feeling of depression and loneliness, and it went on for quite a long time. And during that time, I came to an Ash Wednesday service at Highway. It was actually one of my first times in this room, and I still remember where I sat. It's like right over there. Um, and I think that, per that, that service gave me permission to be sad. It gave me space to be in the valley that I actually was in, and until like, I started crying, I didn't even know that I needed it. And Nick sang a song that night that ended up staying with me during that time. The song goes, Oh love, that will not let me go. The words for that song come from an old hymn written by a guy named George Matheson. George Matheson lived in Scotland in the 1800s, and he was 20 years old, a top student at university, with plans to go into ministry and engage to be married, when he began losing his vision. And when he told his fiancée, she broke off the wedding, saying she couldn't go through life with a blind man. Within a year, he went completely blind, but continued in ministry with the help of his sister, who cared for him over the next two decades. But the day came when his sister got married and left, and the night of her wedding, sitting alone in the house, he experienced what he called the most severe mental suffering, being reminded of his own failed wedding and facing the prospect of the years of darkness ahead alone. Sitting there that night, something happened to him that never happened before. The words of a song came to him in the span of five minutes, requiring no edits. He said God gave him the words. O oh, love that wilt not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. O light that followest all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. George Matheson walked through a world of literal darkness for the rest of his life. But in that moment, he saw that he was not alone. He had a shepherd who guarded him against despair, who guided him when his own light went out. And you know, I think 
Sometimes we feel like we have to survive our valleys through either escape or control. But you get the sense here that when Matheson yielded to the presence of Jesus and the reality of the valley he was in, it led to rest, to a kind of release, even to hope. What does it mean for you to walk through your valleys like that? What does it mean for us as a church to walk through our valleys, our times of uncertainty or struggle like that, with that kind of release and rest? What does it mean to allow ourselves to be comforted by his protection and his guidance? To trust Jesus even and especially when we cannot see far ahead at all. Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. George Matheson's hymn ends with these lines, From the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. To deliver us from the darkness, Jesus gave no less than his life on the cross. And because he rose from the dead, we have the hope that morn shall tearless be, that life shall endless be, that one day we will live in eternal light where evil will be no more. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff. They comfort me. I'm not afraid when you walk by my side. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words that this man you loved, David, wrote down. Thank you for this reminder that even this guy we see sometimes as a spiritual superhero who like fought off lions and had amazing quiet times and wrote all these hymns and songs, he had his valleys valleys that were so dark, he felt like it was death. But it was in those places that he looked at these things he held every day in his hands, this rod and staff, and says, I don't have to be afraid because, God, I know that you're with me. God, I pray that these truths that we know in our heads would penetrate our hearts, would penetrate the reality of the spaces that we're in, especially when they're dark, especially when we're faced with temptations and threats, especially when we're confused, I pray that these would be spaces that just press us up against you, against your presence, and against your love for us. I pray for anyone here today who is very much in a valley or who's carrying something really heavy. God, I pray that they would be comforted, that their souls would be comforted. And God, I pray that you would Give them rest and even hope. God, we love you so much, and we ask that these words would be ones that we can carry with us as we go forward in our week. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.